And so tonight, go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 34. As we're coming to the end of Chronicles, let's pray and we'll dig into the Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, Lord. We ask now as we go to your Word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. Thank you for everyone who's here, none by chance, all by divine appointment. And Lord, I ask that your Word would minister to every heart. And I pray that man would decrease, that your Spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. quickly, Chronicles, we've talked about this, we're coming to the end of it. It's literally a letter written by Ezra to the Jews who are returning from Babylon, where they've been in captivity for 70 years, back into Judah and Jerusalem. And of course, the Lord writes it, Ezra was the one that God used, and so he was giving them a history lesson of what this land was like before they were there, you know, before they were taken captive. The first Chronicles really looks at the life of King David, and second Chronicles starts with King Solomon. We have seen through Chronicles, as we did through Kings, that a majority of the kings were wicked. All of the kings in the northern kingdom, which was Israel, were all wicked, every single one of them. As we come to tonight's text, they're actually all been taken away into captivity by Assyria. And we've seen the last several weeks in Judah, they had some good and godly kings and some ungodly kings. In chapter 33, we looked at the life of King Manasseh. And if you were not here last week, I'd encourage you to grab, go online and watch, you know, check out the message because Manasseh was literally maybe the most wicked man in the history of all Judah. He was such a horrible king. And his dad had been a godly man. His grandfather had been a godly man, not his dad. So here he was, this man that you know, was raised uh, Isaiah. He's related to the Isaiah the prophet. Most believe that he's the one that had his, you know, his grandfather Isaiah put to death. His own father was a godly man, Hezekiah. And here's Manasseh. He was as wicked as it gets, sacrificing his children to, to false gods, uh, you know, tearing down the worship to the true and living God, worshiping all the false idols, uh, provoking God to anger because he was such a wicked, wicked man. And I emphasized his wickedness last week through the first two-thirds of our message, because what's amazing is at the very end, he repents, and God forgives him, and we're going to see him in heaven. And the great news about that is God's grace, amen? Because the reality is that we serve a God of love and grace and mercy, and no one is so good that they don't need to be saved, and so, no one is so bad that they're beyond salvation. So we need to continue to pray for people, because you know, the people that we think are beyond being saved are also the people that think they're so good they don't need to be saved. That God will open their eyes and soften their hearts. So Hezekiah had reestablished everything. He reestablished the Passover, worship, uh, rebuilt the, you know, repaired the temple, and his son came along and turned it all back. So now we're going to see after Manasseh, we saw at the end of the chapter last week, his son came along. He also was wicked. And now we're going to look at King Josiah this evening. Now, if you have your outline, grab it. I tell the message, a growing walk in a lost world. The truth is that when I counsel with people or even in my own life, one of the things that we talk about a lot is it's, it's while it's, it's not easy, people say, to be a Christian now, right? Most people want nothing to do with the Lord. There's less and less people going to church and less and less people worshiping God in our country every day. There's so many distractions. If Satan can't destroy you, he'll distract you. And people are so caught up in all the things of this world. 
And so I titled the message tonight, and we're going to see this example in King Josiah, a growing walk while living in a lost world. How do we grow spiritually when most of the world has turned its back on God? How do we continue to become more and more like our Savior when so many people are even deconstructing and walking away from the church completely? First of all, let me just say this. Never place your faith in any man or woman. Only put your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Because the world will fail you. And a lot of people that I talk to a lot as a pastor, I get texts, I get emails, people will reach out to me, and they're walking away from their faith, and are, or they're do, they got something online, and I'll comment on it. And it's all, almost always when they walk away, it's not because of the Lord, it's because of people. And if you're putting your faith in people, we'll all walk away, amen? But we put our faith in the Lord. So here's the points we're going to look at. How do we grow spiritually how is Josiah, he, by the way, I'm going to give it away. He's going to be a really godly king. And he's going to be a, a, a man that God uses mightily. Matter of fact, it was prophesied 300 years before this that a man by the name of Josiah would come along and repair the temple and restore worship. And he would, so we, so he, we know this man was coming because the word of God said he was. So Josiah is going to be a godly man in an ungodly world. He's going to restore worship when no one's worshiping the Lord. He's going to reestablish the teaching of God's word when nobody's reading it. And he's going to do all these. God's going to use him mightily. And you know what? He's going to start off as king as, at eight years old. So he's a little guy in the beginning, but God is doing a work in him. So we can learn a lot from his life. So again, a growing walk while living in a lost world. First of all, doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. We should never be concerned with doing what is right in the eyes of men. You know, people get canceled today if they don't do what the world wants. They can cancel me all they want. As long as I'm on God's side, I'm not worried about getting canceled by the world. Amen? And we need to be doing what's right in His eyes. We should wake up in the morning, living every day to please the Lord, to honor God, to glorify His name, to be a tool in the hand of the Master. And our entire passion and priority of life shouldn't be to be popular with men, but to be faithful to God. Point number two, our walk with the Lord should grow stronger over time. As believers, it was interesting. I'm on a pastor's, a couple of different pastor's uh, sites where, you know, we can talk to each other and it's kind of a, you know, it's a, it's a thing where you can be really transparent with each other. And, and there's, I'm seeing this more and more, and there's multiple sites like this. I'm seeing more and more that there's pastors that are feeling like they're in a rut. Like they're feeling like they're not growing. They feel like they're, you know, just kind of on the cruise, on cruise control. And the reality is what it comes down to for all of us, here's how you grow. You need to spend intimate time with the Lord. You need to be a person of prayer. You need, you need to open up the word of God and read it. You need to be using the gifts God's given you for his kingdom and for his glory. And we all need to be in fellowship. Amen? The, the way that we grow is we need to be fed. You know, you're not going to grow if you stop eating. If you starve yourself physically, you'll die. And if you starve yourself spiritually, you're going to grow weary. Our walk with the Lord should go stronger every time. We're going to see Josiah at age 16. He's going to deepen his commitment to the Lord. At age 20, he's going to purify the whole land of Judah. He's going to remove all the idols that his dad had, had, had popped up, propped up. He's going to bring them back to true worship of the true and living God. And by the time he's 26, he's going to be rebuilding the temple. So this young man, as 
Time goes by, he just gets stronger and stronger and stronger in his walk with the Lord. And as believers, we should be growing in our relationship. Here's one of my prayers I pray often. Lord, I pray that I'm closer to you tomorrow than I am today. That I'm closer to you next year than I am this year. I don't ever want to be satisfied with where I am spiritually. Point number three, using our gifts to serve in practical ways. This church is amazing at this, by the way. You know, when we have a need for something practical, people show up. And we're going to see that in tonight's text. We're going to see guys who are worship leaders overseeing the construction of the temple. You know, sometimes it's going to have to get you out of your comfort zone to serve the Lord. It may not be something you're really familiar with. You may have to learn something. You know, I remember Calvary Santa Cruz, after 10 years of being in a gymnasium, we finally got a building. And one of the things we did is we traded... They gave us six months free rent if we built it out ourselves. So we built it out ourselves. And I was, guys would work all day and you would show up as 35,000 square feet and had a 1,200-seat sanctuary and classrooms, and it was a big deal. Guys would work all day, ladies would work all day, and then show up at night. And I'm not a construction guy, but I can carry drywall if I need to, right? And what was amazing was it was one of the most awesome times in our church because literally, we would be there at 10 o'clock at night. There'd be 80, 90, 100 people in there just serving the Lord, and a lot of them not even knowing how they could be used. And I want to encourage you that what the enemy wants you to do is sit back and do nothing. But the reality is, God's called you, God will use you. And you might have to get out of your comfort zone sometimes. We're going to see in tonight's text that God's going to, you know, just because, look, we don't define what we do in ministry. Well, I'm a pastor, so all I do is this. I'm a worship leader, so all I do is this. I'm on the prayer team, so this is all I do. As believers, we should be tools in the hands of the master, willing to be used by him for anything, anytime, anywhere to minister to anybody. Amen? And we're going to see that in tonight's text. Number four, by rediscovering the word of God. We're going to see that Josiah, early on in his life, has never read the Bible or heard it read, and he's the king. Because the word of God had been lost in a sense. Nobody was reading it. Nobody was opening it. There were no priests serving for that time. And the word of God is going to be rediscovered. Now, what's amazing is he's doing a lot of godly things before he even reads the word. And what he's doing is he's going to pattern his life after King David. He's going to look at King David's life and say, well, that's what King David did. I'm going to do that. King David did the temple. I'm going to do that. King David tore down the idols. I'm going to do that. And so he followed after King David. And then after he's been serving the Lord for quite a while, they're going to find the Bible. Now, here's the problem. If you go to a church where nobody has a Bible, that's a problem. Amen? And if people are just finding the Bible, and as believers, some of us need to find the Bible at our house. Open it, read it, obey it. Amen? Rediscover the Word of God. It's not enough to know it exists. We must spend time in it. By the way, for me, it's so refreshing. One of my, we have a, uh, a porch swing that came from my parents' house. My dad bought my, built my mom a house. They lived in it for 44 years. It was where we went to every Christmas. We had to sell it after they both passed away. And the one thing I took was the porch swing. I took it home. It's in my backyard. And I love to go sit out there and just open up my Bible. And as a pastor, here's one of, my, here's one of the things I got to be aware of. Every time I'm reading the Bible, if I'm not careful, I'm preparing in my mind a message to share with somebody else. But all of us as believers need to have time where we're just hanging out with Jesus, and this isn't for anybody but us. Amen? 
And I love just sitting on that port, that swing in the backyard and opening up my Bible and, and read 10 Psalms. You know, just read the Bible and just let the Lord minister to you. And every time that happens, I always come away refreshed, encouraged, strengthened, even exhorted, sometimes rebuked. Amen. But the word of God, there is no way to have a spiritually mature walk if you are not a man or a woman of the word. Amen? Can't do it. Okay, number five, ask God to speak to you through his word. Guys, it's one thing to open our Bibles, and a lot of people will say, well, my Bible time isn't real rich, or I'm not really growing, and sometimes I'll read it, and I get distracted, and we've, have anybody besides me got distracted when they're reading their Bible? You know, and you know, other things are going on, and, and that's why it's so important to get away somewhere where you cannot be distracted, but when we read our Bibles, I think the first thing we really should do is pray. Say, Lord, as I read your word, may you, Lord, will you speak to me? Lord, will you minister to my heart? Help me, Lord, to not be distracted by the things around me. Help me just to open it up and really enter into God's presence. Guys, God wrote you a love letter. He wrote it down for you, and he, he hand-delivered it to you, and you can open it and read it any time that you want. And, I, and so we need to Ask God to speak to us through his word. Number six, know that God is always faithful to his word. So when God says something, he's always faithful to it. He's faithful to his promises. Two ex uh, examples we'll see both in redemption and forgiveness, but also in righteous judgment. We've been looking at that in Revelation. God is faithful to his promises that for us as believers, we're going to close our eyes on earth. We're going to open them up in glory. We're going to return with him. At the end of the tribulation, we're going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. If you know the Lord, those are promises. You can count on it. If you don't know the Lord, he's promised, if you reject him, that you'll have to pay for your own sin because you didn't allow his son to, and you're going to spend eternity separated from Almighty God, and there's no escaping hell. Both of those are things that are promised in God's word, and we need to know that his promises, he's faithful to his word, both in grace and mercy, but also in righteous judgment. And then finally, a faithful servant starts with the word of God. So let's begin there in verse 1 of 2 Chronicles chapter 34. And it says in verse 1, Josiah was eight years old when he became king and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. So Josiah's dad, as we know, Ammon, it was at the end of last week's text, if you were, or two weeks ago, if you were here, his dad was an evil man. His grandfather, Manasseh, had been an evil man most of his life, who repented at the end of his life. Now, one of the things we say often, I re keep repeating this, you can have godly parents and ungodly kids. You can have ungodly parents and godly kids. Now, ideally, we raise our kids to know the Lord. We do everything we can to, to raise them to know the truth, to put them in the word of God, to bring them godly discipline, to pour our lives into them, to take them to church, and we want to do all of those things, put them in Christian school if we can afford it, all of those things. But at the same time, it would be great if all of our kids just loved Jesus. And it would be great if all of our parents just loved Jesus. Some of us in here have parents that did not know the Lord, and you do, praise God. Some of us have children that aren't walking with the Lord right now, and it's heartbreaking. Because the reality is every one of us has to make our own choice in our relationship with the Lord. And so Josiah had an evil dad, but even as a young man, 
It was already instilled in this young man. He becomes king at eight years old. And we're going to see not many years after that, he's going to be doing what is right in the sight of the Lord. Look at verse two. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Is there any better thing that could be said about anybody? Wouldn't that be great for your tombstone? He did what was right. She did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. We faithfully serve the Lord. Again, God gets all the praise and the glory and the honor. We didn't, you know, anything we do is only because of him. But this is what it said of Josiah. And it said that he walked in the ways of his father, David. Now, David's not his father. We know that. And in the Bible, you'll see in Hebrew often, they'll refer to a father as somebody who's your grandfather, your great-grandfather. It's an ancestor. And David is certainly hundreds of years before him. But what an amazing testimony David has that is, I don't know how many greats we put behind it. Great, 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 great grandson wants to model his life after King David. May we live in such a way that we're a Christ-like example to the generations that come behind us. Amen? And so King David is the example for this young man. He doesn't follow his dad's example. He was an evil man. He doesn't follow his grandfather, at least the beginning of his life, when he was an evil man. He looks all the way back, and he finds a man that he can follow. Let me read this to you out of 1 Kings chapter uh, 13. You can just look it up later. It's verses 1 through 3. It says, Behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of God, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And he cried out against the altar, the, uh, altar thy, the, by the word of God, and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David, and he shall sacrifice, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. So the prophet sees them making these sacrifices, and he speaks about a young man who's going to come hundreds of years later through the line of David, who's going to come back and tear that altar down and put the, de- the priest to death and burn their bodies on that altar. Now, guys, the Bible is amazing because there are no other books that do this. Tell you something that's going to happen. Tell you the name of the guy that's going to do it. See, so God had a plan for Josiah from before he was born. And I want to say this. God has a plan for you that he's had for your life from before you were born. And guys, don't we want what God has for us instead of what our flesh wants? Amen? And so here's this young man. He's going to do what is right in the sight of the Lord. And God already had a plan for his life that he was going to use him in a mighty and a powerful way. Now, not in the eyes of the world, not in the eyes of his wicked father. It's only how God sees us that really matters. His father, who was a wicked, wicked man, would have been very disappointed to see how his son was turning out. But praise God that we are not living to please the world, but to honor the Lord. Well, this was true of Josiah at this young age. It's really more intended as a general description of his entire reign as king, that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So Josiah's walk and relationship with the Lord grew stronger over time, as should each of our walks grow stronger. So point number two, our our walk 
should grow stronger over time. Look at verse 3. For the eighth year of his reign. So if he started reigning when he was eight, how old is he? You don't need a new math for this. You can do this. What's eight plus eight? 16, okay? So he's 16 years old. And it says of him, in the eighth year, while he was still young, he began to seek the Lord, seek the God of his father, David. And the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. So at age 16, he's deepening his relationship with the Lord. And I want to say this, the younger, I believe the younger, the better. I'm glad we see a lot of younger people in here. We have a lot of younger people that come to our church on Sundays. We have a lot of young people, and praise God for that. But you know what? It's better to come to know the Lord when you're young. It's better to grow in the Lord when the younger, the better. Because the sooner we come to know the Lord, the less of the world's garbage and headaches we have to deal with without Him. Amen? I'm so thankful that I was raised in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor for 60 plus years. And at the, I got saved in Mrs. Green's Sunday school class in 1968 at the First Baptist Church of Wilmington. And I was four and a half years old. And I came home after church. My dad relays this story to me because I was four and a half, okay? But my dad said, he came, I came, we were talking after church. He was out painting the garage door. I still remember it. Painting it yellow. Why do I remember that? But I do. And he said, so son, how was, how was Sunday school? And I said, well, dad, I gave my life to Jesus today. They asked me, and they, they did the flannel board thing. You guys ever had been taught by the flannel board? Yeah. Okay. So they did the flannel board thing, and she put all this stuff up, and then she said, does anybody want to give their life to Jesus? And I raised my hand, and she took me in the back, and she prayed with me, Mrs. Green, and she gave me a little white Bible, and I brought it home, and I showed it to my dad. I gave my life to Jesus. And, and it's only by the grace of God. That was 56 years ago. And I am so thankful that by God's grace, I've walked with the Lord for 56 years. Have I had times in my life where I wasn't as close to God as I should be. Yeah. But you know what? For the most part, I can't imagine living without him. Now, a lot of people say that's a boring testimony. You got saved really young. I want to tell you what, I think it's the best testimony going because it shows that God is faithful throughout your entire life. Amen. And so I want to encourage you, no matter how young you may be, or, you know what? Press into the kingdom of God. Don't let people look down upon your youth. Seek the Lord. I love that our worship team, we got, we got all these people that are 18 years old, 19 years old. We got young people. We got young people serving here in all kinds of ministries. And if you're young, it's not, you don't have to wait till you're a certain age to be used by God. He wants to use you right now. And if we're older, God wants to use us until we draw our last breath. Amen? As long as we're still here, God's not done with us. So we notice that the first thing that happens, he deepens his walk with the Lord. So as he gets closer to the Lord at 16, by the time he's 20, what does it do? He cleanses Judah. Here's what that means. He's going to go out and tear down all the idols that his dad had propped up. He's going to destroy all the false idols, including that idol that had been prophesied some 300 years earlier that he would come and destroy that altar. And he's going to. We'll see it in the text. So here he is. He first falls in love with the Lord. He gets to know him at a young age. And then because he knows the Lord, it produces an action and a behavior. Wait a minute. I know the Lord and those idols are horrible. Those idols are ungodly. They, some of the idols were, you know, they had orgies around these altars and they sacrificed children. And he's like, this is ungodly and I'm putting a stop to all of it. Guys, I'm looking forward to the millennial kingdom when Jesus comes back and he, and he puts a stop to all of it. Can I get an amen to that? 
Amen? I'm looking forward to when that's done. But until then, as believers, we should take a stand. And so I love young Josiah. He, he removes all the false idols. And he also returns true worship. He's going to do the same thing that his uh, great-grandfather had done, where he restored worship. Hezekiah did it. Remember when Hezekiah became king, that the first thing he did was he restored the temple. He had enemies ready to attack him. He said, before we do anything, we're getting right with God. I want to say this to all of us. Before you do anything else, get right with God. Before you go to work, get right with God. More important than your career, more important than relationships, more important than anything is your relationship with the Lord. So make being right with God the priority and passion of your life. And then what God will do when you seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you. So Josiah is pressing in. He's a young man. By the way, he doesn't have a Bible. So he's getting closer to the Lord. I don't know how exactly, it doesn't tell us, but he's getting closer to the Lord. He looks back at the godly examples that went before him. Notice it says there, so what does he do? He began to purge Judah and Jerusalem in the high places, wooden images, carved images, the molded images. He broke down the altars of the Baals. Baal is where, again, we talked about that. That was the original God of Babel, Babylon. And so the God of you know, an idol, and we try to, they tried to reach heaven on their own. They built a tower, and they want, you know, they're basically worshiping themselves. And that sounds like the world we live in today. All these carved images, he broke them into pieces, made dust of them, and scattered it on the graves of those who sacrificed to them. So he takes these idols, he burns them all up, and then he takes the ashes, and he goes around to the graves of the people that worship these false gods and sprinkled the ashes on their graves. It's almost as if to say, well, how's that working out for you? Your God, you're dead and now your God is too. Your God doesn't exist and your God is not real. So they broke down the altars. And, and as you look at the list, there's so many gods. They had Baal and Asheroth and Molech. They worshiped the stars. They worshiped anything and everything but the Lord. Doesn't that sound a lot like our country right now? People worship anything and everything as long as it's not the Lord. I saw a guy asking on street corner, he was saying, is it okay for seven-year-olds to trans transition if they want? And all the people are like, yeah, first of all, that's lunacy. That's insanity. And then a lady was saying, well, my four-year-old, you know, she's already chose her pronouns. She doesn't know what a pronoun is. Stop it. But here's the thing that seven-year-olds, they're, they're asking, is it okay if they transition? I think they should be able to be whatever they want. And then he said, to become Christians? Oh, no, no. You can transition to be a girl or a boy, but you cannot... The point is, anything's okay. Anything's okay. The most, the most insane thing is okay, as long as it's not giving your life to Jesus. And that's the world we're living in today. And we see here that they had all these altars and all these idols, and, and praise God for a king who is a man of his convictions. He's growing in the Lord. He's still a young man, and he says, we're getting rid of all of them. We're not voting on it. We're taking them down. He makes it clear with an absolute abomination. Idolatry was in the eyes of the Lord. He broke them down. He cut them down. He made dust from them. He scattered them on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars. And the priests, because here's what priests would do. They would always, when they died, they would be buried near the altar of the God they served. And so what he did is he went to the altars and he dug up, he dug up around the altar 
destroyed the altar, dug up around the altar, found the bones of the priests that served there and burned their bones. Now, why would he go to this? He wanted to make a very clear point that these false gods are demonic. These false gods are so contrary to the word. And he was making a stand to not only take down the altars, but make sure that everybody understood how ungodly this really was. We'll see that it says there in verse 5, he burned the bones of the priests on the altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so he did in the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon, as far as Naphtali and all around with axes. Here's what he did. He didn't just stay in Jerusalem and Judah. Remember that Israel, the, top, the northern ten nations, and Judah were at war with each other. But they were all God's children, but they, they were all part of God's chosen people, the 12 tribes that came out of Egypt together. But they had split away from each other. And notice when he is tearing down the altars, he doesn't just tear them down in Jerusalem and Judea, uh, Judah. He actually goes up into Israel and does it there as well. He doesn't just say, I'm going to take the idols from my house. I want to take the idols from any house that's near me. I want to destroy them all. I want to take them all down because there are things that lead people away from the true and the living God. So he did not return to Jerusalem until he had broken down all the altars, wooden images, you know, carved images, incense altars. And he did go fulfill that in Bethel. It's in, the, it's in Dan. And the, in Bethel, house of God, they had an altar that they had built and they were worshiping golden calves. And he went to where that was, destroyed the altar. We know from 2 Kings, which is a companion text for this, that they also put the priests that still were alive to death and then buried, you know, then burnt, then burnt them as well. Why? Now, why would God do that? Does that seem unloving? Do you know the thing that God hates more than anything? People that draw him, people away from him. God is grieved and, and he hates it. When somebody, you know, takes someone who's trying to follow the Lord and draws them away to a false God. And God righteously judges those people. Now he suffers long, but he won't suffer always. What are the first two commandments? What are they? What are they? No other God before me. And what's the second one? Don't, don't make any graven images. The first two commandments. No other gods, no graven images. And what do we see throughout the Old Testament? Other gods, graven images. Everywhere. Did they have the Ten Commandments already? What's the answer? They got them in Exodus, Mount Sinai. God spoke the Ten Commandments. They take the first two commandments and they abuse the daylights out of them. And God just gets to a point where he's, he, he reaches out and he wants to see them repent. And when they won't, he's going to bring righteous judgment. And praise God for godly men like Josiah who doesn't just sit back and say, live and let live. Everybody can live whatever life they want. It's not impacting me. You know what? It's impacting God. Amen? And we want to honor the Lord. And, we, and, and people will say to me, well, it's my business. You know what? Someone told me recently, be a Christian. Just keep it to yourself. They don't understand Christianity. Because if you're a Christian, you won't keep it to yourself. Amen? At least if you're a Christian who's being obedient to the Lord. And I love Josiah. Young man, I don't care what my dad did. I don't care on how ungodly he was. I'm growing in the Lord. I'm walking with the Lord. I'm going to obey the Lord. And I'm going to stand up against those things that are contrary 
to his word. God's people worshiping idols was as blasphemous as it gets. And the all-out, complete and total destruction of the idols and in Kings again, the execution of the priests is God. It just shows us how serious God is about people worshiping anything or anyone else other than him. So point number two there, our walk with the Lord should grow stronger and stronger over time. So at 16, he's drawing closer to the Lord. At 20, he destroys all the false idols and, and puts the priests to death for false idols. And then at 26, he's going to start rebuilding the temple. So the older he gets, the more spiritually mature he becomes, and the more faithful he is to the calling God has on his life. Number three, using our gifts to serve in practical ways. Now watch what happens. In the 18th year, so now he's 26, of his reign, when he had purged the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, Masai, the governor of the city, Joah, the son of Jehoaz, uh, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. Isn't it amazing how many times we've seen this in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles that the house of the Lord has to be repaired? Because every time an evil king comes along, they will almost always take all the gold and strip everything out of it. And a lot of times they'll put their false gods into the temple. And then when they die, a godly king comes along and has to rebuild the temple. And so here he is, he's going to rebuild the temple. And once he had purged the land of all the idols, he wants to get people back to a place where they worship the true and living God. After he had faithfully cleansed the land of, and Judah of idolatry, Josiah puts his efforts toward restoring the neglected temple just as Hezekiah had done. Why is the temple so important to the Jews? Why was it? Sacrifices the place where the presence of God dwelt. Guys, this is what I like when I meet Jewish people today. I'll, I'll ask, often ask them, so are you Jewish by heritage or by religion? Most just say heritage. The ones that say by religion, I say, so how, what do you think happens to you when you die? A lot of them will say, oh, we don't know. Or I believe in reincarnation. It's just, it's out of control. And then the ones that do say, well, you know, we believe that the Messiah is coming. I'm like, okay, so where are you making sacrifices right now for your sins? Where are you doing that? Well, we're not. Exactly. The old covenant, they made sin offerings and burnt offerings, and the sacrifices they made were all, you know, uh, in a sense, a symbol, a symbolized atonement for their sin that was really pointing to the Messiah who was coming. That's why it's the blood of a lamb, right? a spotless lamb. Jesus is the lamb of God. And now the blood of lambs and bulls and goats cannot save you, but they can point to the one who does. Now, when, the old, when Jesus died on the cross, he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. So we don't have to make sacrifices anymore. But if you're still under the old covenant, where are the sacrifices? They're not being made. And we have thousands of years of the Old Testament where much of the time they were not making sacrifices, even though God had commanded it. They just were not doing it. So in a sense, they were God's people in name only. They didn't have a relationship with God. They were not honoring God. They were not obeying God. Just because someone calls themselves a Christian, they're not a Christian either. Look at verse 9. When they came to Hilkiah, the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites who kept the doors had gathered from the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim and all the remnant of Israel from all Judah and Benjamin, what they brought back to Jerusalem. So here's what happens. 
They see that the temple has been, is in disarray and needs to be repaired. So the first thing they needed to do was take up an offering so that they could buy the materials needed to fix the temple. Now, this is part of practical ways that we serve as believers. When we give, I want to encourage you, and you know here we don't pass an offering. Why don't we do that? There's nothing wrong with passing an offering, by the way. If churches do that, God bless them. But I've always had the conviction that I don't want people to feel like they should tip God because a plate's going by. I want people to pray and purpose in their heart beforehand and give to the Lord. And so that's why we just have an agape box. But I do believe, biblically, biblically, the Bible teaches us, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The things that you invest in reflect on what is a priority in your life. And so the first thing that needed to happen before the work could be done, in this case, to restore the temple, was people had to give, and people gave. They gave because they wanted to see the temple rebuilt. They gave because they were believers in the true and living God. And so when they gave, that was the first thing that took place, and all the money was gathered together so that they could begin rebuilding the, um, the temple. Then it says, in verse uh, 10, it says, and then they put in the hand of the foreman who had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they gave it to the workmen who worked in the house of the Lord to repair and restore the house. They gave it to the craftsmen and the builders to buy hewn stones and timber for the beams and to the floor uh, to the floor of the houses, which the kings of Judah had destroyed. And the men did the work faithfully. They were over, the overseers were Jehath and Obadiah, the Levites of the sons of Merari and Zechariah, and Meshulam, the sons of Kohath, uh, the Kohathites, to supervise others, the Levites, all of whom were skillful uh, in instruments of music. So here's what happened. They were able to have the resources, so now some people had to go out and buy all the materials because the temple had been heavily damaged. So they had to go out and buy the wood and go out and buy the stone and go out and buy whatever was necessary. Then they brought it back to craftsmen who then went in and used their gifts to rebuild it. And what cracks me up, here's the picture I got. Notice it says in the overseers and the gatekeepers are all the Levites who play music. I would give 20 bucks to see a guy with a harp go out to a construction site and start barking out orders. Can you imagine? Guy with a banjo among the, hey, by the way, you need to, right? Well, that's what right here, we just see how God puts these, these Levites who, that's not really their calling. Their calling is just to serve the Lord. And they, they lead people into worship. And that's an extremely high calling. But notice that God will take the worship leaders to be overseers and building a building because God will use us in ways that we don't always expect. God's, the greatest ability, ability in Christianity is availability. You know, being available, say, Lord, here I am, use me. And that's someone that God will use. I've been blessed to be on staff at a few, I mean, you know, be assistant pastor at a few churches. And one of the churches I was an assistant pastor at was very large. And I was there for five years. I was there with Rob McCoy. I did high school and men's ministry and a bunch of other stuff and taught on Sundays when the pastor was gone. But all the pastors were on staff because the church was very large, had like seven or eight ministries that they were over because that's what had to happen. You know, there's five pastors and all these ministries. So you're over this ministry, this ministry, this ministry, this ministry, and this ministry. It's called being available. And you know, the same is true for us. Sometimes you think, well, I'm really good at this and I'm comfortable with this. So I'll do that if it ever comes available. Well, maybe God wants you to do some other stuff too. 
I loved when we had the big windstorm and this place was covered with limbs and all kinds of stuff. And that whole road down there was blocked. And I just mentioned that Sunday, hey, you know what? At two o'clock, anybody wants to come back, we can bless the school and get this place all cleaned up. And you know what? I come back at two o'clock and I don't know how many guys were here, but it was, we had young guys, old guys, people knew what they were doing. People had no idea. And we just came out here and honored the Lord. And you know, we all can pick up branches, right? And the point is that being available to be used by the Lord and not telling God what we're willing to do, but just say, here I am, Lord, send me. Eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one who can show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. Just say, Lord, I want you to use me today for your kingdom and for your glory. So they gave the money to the people who went out and bought the, the things they needed. Then they brought in the craftsmen to go to work. And then they had overseers who helped them get the job done. Josiah understood that the work of repair and rebuilding the temple needed to be organized and needed to be funded, and he paid attention to both of these needs when he commanded Hilkiah. Hilkiah was the high priest, and he had the high priest whose main job was to offer sacrifices. What does a priest do? He talks to people about God and God about people. So he, ta- he prays on people's behalf, you know, speaks to them, speaks to God about the people, but then he ministers to the people for God. He was the one making the sacrifices. And yet, even though he was the high priest, he was put in charge of the rebuild of the temple because he was a godly man who was willing to be used by the Lord. So while prayer and worship and the word of God are essential for a healthy church and for us as individuals to grow in our faith, so much of ministry is hands-on and practical. No people give Hilkiah the priest acted as general contractor. Men worked with their hands faithfully. Levites, who were skilled worship leaders, served as overseers, scribes, officers, and gatekeepers. And that's how the body of Christ should work. When I was young, I I was on the opposite extreme sometimes, where I would volunteer for everything. And you got to be careful with that. But my hand was always up. If there was a need and nobody was going to do it, I'll do it. I was in my 20s. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And, and the thing is, when we, when, we do every, when we try to do everything, we keep other people from using their gifts. But there are so many places and so many things that take place in this church or church doesn't happen. You know, I'll just give you some examples. Um, first of all, giving and serving. Uh, children's ministry, youth ministry, young adults, men's ministry, women's ministry, married couples ministry, overcomers, worship. The setup team, when it rains, there's people that come in here and wipe down every single chair so you can sit down in here. There's people that come in to make sure the sound's set up and right. They, they make sure that they, the live stream is working. They do all the tech stuff. When people leave and go home and they've already eaten their lunch and they're in front of their television, there's people still here picking up trash. And what are they doing? They're doing it for the Lord. And the reality is, if they were not being faithful, we wouldn't be able to have church. Amen? And you know what? I think those calling hospitality and greeters. People tell me all the time, we had some new people here two weeks ago, and they just came up and said, we've been going to churches for 30 years. I've never felt so welcomed in my life. And praise God for that. Amen? And they mentioned Dana by name. Man, she's a sweet lady. I like her. I said, we all love her. She's great. So the point is that, and by the way, you got out of your comfort zone to do that, didn't you? See? And I'm not telling on her. 
You know what I mean? Like, and now she's amazing at it. And the same thing happens for us. If we all just sit back and, and we're just scared to step out in faith, we're going to miss out on all the blessings of getting out of our comfort zone and watching God use us for his glory. Amen? And serving him is a get-to, not a have-to. Almost all volunteered to do something that was needed and was, again, outside of their comfort zone and available, availability to do all that we can for the Lord and for his kingdom. So using our gifts to serve the Lord in practical ways, give, serve, disciple, you know, minister to others. That's what God's called us to do. Then it says in verse 14 to 18, rediscovering the word of God. Now, when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. So here's what's happening. They're cleaning up the temple. It's in shambles. And as they're cleaning it up, it's believed that through Manasseh and some of the other wicked kings, uh, when Manasseh was still being wicked and other kings were wicked, that they had destroyed all the Bible, destroyed all the word of God. In this case, it would have been the first five books of the Bible. And they destroyed them all. But there was one copy left because God preserved it. And so he's in there in the shambles of what used to be the temple, and he discovers the word of God. He finds the book of the law. Now, the sad part is that the kings were commanded to read the entire Bible to the entire land every year. They're actually told at least every seven years. But ideally, every year, get up and literally read the Bible because they didn't have printing presses. People didn't have, you know, a different Bible for every different outfit with the color of the leather that matches my purse. They didn't have that, okay? And what happened was everyone was handwritten. So there was one, in this case, that we know of, only one, you know, uh, copy of the Bible, copy of the Word of God, and they found it. And so the priest finds it. And then look what happens in verse 15. And then a guy answered, to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Now, Shaphan, this guy, we only see him in the Bible a couple of times, but we see him mentioned a lot that he has ancestors that are used mildly by God. I love when I'm reading a text and I see a name that, you know, I, I've read through the Bible many times, but a name that has never really stuck out to me before. And I think that guy's name's in the Bible or that gal's name's in the Bible for a reason. I want to find out about these, this person. Well, Shaphan, he's he mentioned in Jeremiah. He's mentioned in all these different books of the Bible. And what's mentioned a lot is his kids and his grandkids, all these descendants of his that are being used mightily by the Lord. He's mentioned like four or five times in Jeremiah, just talking about his kids and his grandkids. So this is a man who's a scribe. So what does a scribe do? He's one who, make, who makes copies of things, who writes things down, who keeps records. So when Hilkiah the priest finds the, the word of God, dude, come here. I found it. Nobody's read it in a long time. And he gives it to Shaphan to make sure that it was cared for. He found the book of the law. You know what? Our country needs to find the Bible again. Amen. I'm old enough that I remember when I was in school, we had Christmas programs that were about Jesus in public school. We would tell, our teachers would tell us Bible stories in public school. The word of God was everywhere. 
And now it's been banned from so many places, and we shouldn't be surprised that when you take away the foundation for truth, that you find people living a lie, and you find out, you know, and, and by the way, the Word of God is the standard for what's good and evil. When you take away the standard, then anything goes. Amen? We're living in a time right now that people don't want a thief that goes into a store, puts a thousand dollars worth of stuff, and he gets to walk out the front door because we don't want to prosecute them. Because we don't want, and what are we doing? We're calling good evil and evil good. We want to get rid of the police. You know who wants to get rid of the police? Criminals. Amen? We want to, we remove the Bible. Let's remove all other authority. Let's take everything else out of our lives so we can just live however we want. Well, the reality is that is a very depressing place to be because you will never find peace in your life apart from the Prince of Peace. Amen? So they find the book of the law. And sadly, there are many churches today that do not teach, study, or have reverence for the word of God. They're challenging it. They're mocking it. They're putting their feelings ahead of God's word. Guys, the word of God is the standard, not your feelings. Amen? In Deuteronomy 31, it says this. There was a copy of this book in the law beside the Ark of the Covenant, beginning in the days of Moses, and the word of God was with Israel, but was greatly neglected in those days. Then neglect could only happen because Judah had prolonged disobedience to God. In Deuteronomy 17, it tells us the king was to have a personal copy of the law, and he was supposed to read it. Wouldn't you love it if the president, of the, our president couldn't get through it, but if, if, it wouldn't it be great if the president got up at the, you know, whatever you call that, State of the Union address, instead just got up and read the Bible. Amen? transform our... Hey, by the way, we're going to scrap the speech. I'm just going to read through the gospel of John. That's what we're going to do. All right, everybody, open your Bibles. People at home, open your Bibles. Matter of fact, we had them all delivered to your house. You know, we spent some tax money on something good. They're on your doorpost. Go get it. Open it up. We're going to read it together. That would transform our nation. Amen? And so this is what the king was supposed to do. And Josiah is a godly man who's never read the Bible before. But watch what happens when he finds out. The Levites, again, were scattered throughout the country. Again, they were supposed to teach, but the Bible was no longer something that was being used amongst God's people. In verse 16, so Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the key and the word, saying, all that was committed to your servants they are doing. So he tells them right off the bat, by the way, the money we collected, they're working on the temple. The guys are down there, the craftsmen are down there, the Levites are overseeing them, all that stuff's taking place. Then he says, and they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord, they've delivered it into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan, the scribe, told the king, saying, Hilkah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now when Hilkiah finds it, he says, I found the book. And when, and, and Shaphan, God bless him, he's a man used by the Lord, but he mentions the book last. I'm thinking that should have been the headliner, amen? He shows him and says, by the way, we're getting things built. Yeah, we got the money delivered. And we got to say, oh, by the way, I found a book. And you know, sometimes that's kind of how people feel about the word of God. Guys, I'm going to tell you something right now. This right here is my most treasured possession on this planet. On this planet. And I mean this. If someone came up and offered me $100,000 for my Bible, I'd say, keep it. 
I've had this thing recovered so many times. The first time I, I bought this in 1991. And again, I, I know there's other Bibles, but this is the one God has used to really min, inter, impact my life. So I love this book. I love it. You know why I love it? Because I love the author. Amen? And so, you know, where your treasures, there your heart will be also. This is a treasured possession. Amen? And, and so he mentions it last. Oh, by the way, we found a book. Now watch what happens, though. So it says that Hilkiah, the priest, gave me the book, and Shaphan read it to the king. So he opens it up, and I could just see King Josiah sitting there. He's 26 years old, and he starts reading the Bible to him. And I believe that at that time, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And I believe it's all read in one sitting. He's sitting there, and can you imagine how his mind was blown because he's never read it? God created the heavens and the earth. Wow. Talks about there's, you know, their deliverance out of bondage in Egypt. God's speaking from Mount Sinai. I mean, can you imagine all the things? And then he gets to Deuteronomy. It's the second giving of the law. And he tells them, I'll paraphrase some of Deuteronomy. If you will obey God, God will bless you. If you disobey God, he will judge you. And Josiah's hearing all this. He's the king over all of Judah, over all of Jerusalem. And he's the one who's supposed to be leading them spiritually, you know, with the high priest. And what does he do when he hears all of this? How do you think he's going to respond? When he opens it up and he hears it read for the first time, having never heard it before, more than likely. Again, it seems remarkable that reading it was worthy of even being mentioned, because it tells you that it being read was something that didn't happen very often. Romans 10, 17, our theme verse for the church that God put in my heart for Calvary, Santa Cruz, and for here. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that's always been, if you want to grow in faith, you need to spend time in the word of God. There's no shortcuts. That's how you do it. Now, he teaches he hears the word of God being taught, and he's just sitting there, and I'm glad that we find out exactly how he's going to respond. They hadn't given a lot of importance to the book before he read it, but Deuteronomy tells us again that a copy of the Bible is to be placed alongside the Ark of the Covenant, and the king was to have his own copy, and he should have been reading it, and no wonder the king and the kingdom were such a mess, because they were biblically illiterate. And that's one of the biggest problems that we have today. There's no authority. There's no right and wrong. There's no good and evil because the people are biblically ignorant and illiterate. So he reads it before the king. God preserved the word. The word was delivered to the scribe. Not enough to discover a copy of God's word or to be given a copy of God's word. It must be read, opened, and obeyed. If they just took the book and went, great, we found the book, and they put it in a corner, and they wrote marriages in the front, right? You know, people with family Bibles. I've been to people's houses and one of my great uncles one time and we were talking about the Lord and he was saying, well, the, the guy next door had died, but he was a good man. So he'd see him in heaven. I go, good people don't, but yeah, yeah. Good people go to heaven. There aren't any. He's not good. And then I started to go open his Bible and he goes, we never opened that book. I said, there's the problem. They opened it to put down marriages and births in it. And it was this big, it was the size of a Toyota. You know, you get these big Bibles and it covers the whole, but nobody reads it. And so it's so good that they found it, but praise God, they ran back. He handed it to the scribe. The scribe goes to the king. He opens it up, and 
he reads it. So they rediscovered the Word of God. And I want to encourage you, you're here on a Thursday night, I'm preaching to the choir, but I want to say this to you. I want to encourage you, the Bible says we desire the Word of God more than our necessary food. Make time in the Word a priority in your life. Look at the next point. Ask God to speak to you through His Word. Look how He responds. I love this about Josiah. Verse 19, it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he what? He tore his clothes. Now, what's that a picture of in the Bible? Remorse, grief, mourning. He tore his clothes because he heard that the word of God said, if you obey God, I will bless you. If you disobey God, I'm going to curse you. He had seen all the consequences. Israel has been carried off to, uh, to the Assyrians have captured them already. He probably was thinking, look, yeah, because they worshiped idols and because they disobeyed God according to his word, he's brought righteous judgment. No wonder they're in Assyria. Maybe we're going to be next. Yeah, they didn't honor the Lord. They were, you know, and so he, he heard all these clear commandments in the Bible and he's like, oh my goodness. And his heart is broken. Like what in the world, how far away from God we've gotten. And you see, he rips his clothes because he's mourning, he's grieving, he's repentant over what he's heard. And that's what the word of God should do in our lives. Amen. We should open it up and it should be encouraging. Uh, the grace of God should bless us. But every time I read my Bible, I pray, Lord, convict me where I need to be convicted. Amen. Conviction is a good thing. And he's convicted to his core. He had never heard the word, and a simple reading of the word brought immediate conviction upon the heart of King Josiah. It didn't take 500 services for him to get convicted. He heard the word of God, and it wasn't even explained. It was just read. Here you go. Open it and read it. There's a lot of churches that would be better off if they would just open up the Bible and have someone stand up and just read it. Amen? Better than seven steps of financial freedom or three ways to overcome your anger or beaver doesn't live anymore. Just open the Bible. And so the Bible's open, it's read, and he's convicted to his core. And again, not now knowing the truth, he'd been convicted by the Holy Spirit. How is the king going to respond in the light of all these words? What is he going to do? Look at verse 10. Then the king commanded Hilkiah and Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Abdon, the son of Micah, and Shaphan the scribe, and Asiah, the servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, and for those who are left in Israel and Judah, concerning the words of the book that is found, for great is the wrath of God. Here's what he says. Okay, we've been messing up. I want all you guys, the high priests, all you that are spiritually mature men, I want you to go seek the Lord and ask him, what do we need to do? We've read it in his word. There's a lot that's in front of us, but what does the Lord want us to do? How do we fix this? How do we get right with God? I've been convicted by the word. Now, how do I get right? It's not enough to just know what the word of God says. We need to respond to it. So he responds. He's saying, hey, can you go talk to God and ask him? The wrath of God is serious. And, he's, and we deserve the wrath of God. I'm now read, I've read the Bible and I know that I deserve this. We deserve this. I can't believe we're still here. Go ask God what he wants us to do. And he says there at the end of that verse, that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in the book. Why? 
did God bless our nation for so many years? Because for many years, we were a nation founded on the Lord, and we were faithful to his word. And now we're not. And we can't expect God to... We sing, we sing God bless America. We need to be singing America bless God. Amen? And we need to honor him. And we can't dishonor God, shake our fists at God, walk in open disobedience against God, and then expect God to bless us. Hear me say it all the time. Rebellion or fellowship, choose one. And they, he's recognizing, no wonder we're such a mess. All the fathers that went before me, they were worshiping false gods. They were disobeying the word of the law. They didn't even know what it said. We got to get right with God. He understood the severity of the situation. And he realized how far they had gone from the Lord. He realized the warnings of God's judgment were for him. He realized then that the fact that the Bible was found, the Septuagint, the first five books, was because God wanted him to hear it. And then it was put in front of him, so he did hear it. And now he needs to respond to it. Guys, it's not enough for us to hear a sermon. It's not enough for us to open our Bible and read it. But we need to respond to it. Belief ought to change our behavior. So Josiah wanted to know, what do we do now? When you look at the parallel passage, the thing he does after reading God's word goes much further than the things that he did before reading God's word. And all the things he did for the Lord, just having David as an example, having never read the word, after he reads the word, he does way more. Why? Because now he has direction from God. You know, lives are, are a mess when they have no direction. Guys, the one that we want direction from is the Lord. Amen? You know, Matthew 24, God exhorted the disciples and told them and encouraged them how they should respond, what they were called to do. And he told them that in the last days, they're going to be like the days of Noah, when everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. Everybody's serving their own flesh. And guys, we're living in that time. And during that time, we need to be a remnant of salt and light that stands for the Lord when sadly, most people will not. So then he said, so in verse 19, we're asking God, ask God to speak to you through his word. So it's not, we, want, we want to not just read the Bible, but as we're reading it, we want to hear from the Lord. Lord, speak to me. Lord, direct me. Lord, give me wisdom. Look what it says in verse 20. He commanded Hilkiah, so he, so he says this to the Lord, and then he says, go inquire of the Lord. I want to hear from the Lord. Point number six, know that God is always faithful to his word. So Hilkiah and those of the king had appointed went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalem, the son of Tokoth, the son of Hashra, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke to her to that effect. So what he said was, we need to hear from the Lord. So what did they do? They didn't go to the other priests. They didn't go to people necessarily, other people in royalty. They knew about a woman who knew the word of God and spoke it with boldness. So they went and found her. You know, prophecy is foretelling, foretelling and foretelling. It's, you know, when someone prophetically says that something's going to happen in the future, we see it throughout the Bible. But most prophecy today, we do still have that happening for sure. It's just proclaiming the truth. So they come to this prophetess and they want her, like, we need to know what the Lord wants us to do. What do you got? 
You know, you're, and isn't it good to know, wouldn't you love to be the person, and we should be those people, where when someone has a question about life, or when somebody is in a place of desperation and they need prayer, that they think, who do I know that hangs out with God? Who do I know that reads the Bible? Who do I know that goes to church and loves Jesus and isn't ashamed of it? And you know what? It should be us, Amen. So that those people in their time of desperation run to somebody that they know has a relationship with the Lord. Well, that's this woman. They're going to come to her and seek direction from her because they know that she knows the Lord. Do do your coworkers know that you know the Lord? Do your neighbors know that you know the Lord? Do you live it out loud in front of them just by the way that you treat each other and the things that you say and do? So they answered then and said, so she answered them. Thus says the Lord, tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants and all the curses that are written in the book, which they have read before the king of Judah. He said, you know what? All that judgment coming wasn't exactly what they were looking for, but let them know that the calamity was coming. Now we're going to find out as we continue to read on that even though the people listen to the word and pretend like they're in line with it, their behavior is not going to change. So he's warning them to warn the king, the calamity is coming. The same thing that happened to Israel because of their idolatry is going to be coming your way. But watch what else God says through her. Verse 25, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and not be quenched. So our God is a loving God, a gracious God, a merciful God, but he's also a righteous judge. And then he says this as we finish up here. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord in this manner, you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, and you humbled yourself before me, and you tore your clothes, and you wept before me. I also heard you, says the Lord, and surely I will gather you and your fathers, and you shall be gathered to the grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place and its inhabitants. So they brought back the word to the king. So they come back to the king and say, king, righteous judgment's coming. God said so. But God saw you when you were humble and you were broken and the way you responded to the word of God. So he's going to let you live out your life first. And then the calamity will come after you're gone, after you're already in heaven. So he's letting them know. Now, watch how the king, let's end with this, how the king responds to that. It's a great lesson for us because we're living in it today. Look what happens to the last point. Faithful servant starts with the word of God. It says, Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord, with all the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, and all the people, great and small. And he read in the hearing the words of the book of the covenant, which we had found in the house of the Lord. So he doesn't just go, well, they're all going to get toasted anyway, so I'm just going to lay on the beach until it's time for me to die. Instead, he has a burden to see people saved. Guys, we know that we're going to be delivered from the righteous judgment of God, but that should not make us complacent. That should put a sense of urgency in our heart to see other people saved before it comes. Amen? 
And that's what the king does. He could have just said, oh, well, I'm not going to face the calamity. I'll be in heaven anyway. I'm not going to worry about it. That's not how we should be as believers. Every believer this side of heaven should be burned for every unbeliever this side of hell. Notice how it finishes there. And he says, he read it in their hearing. And I love that he read it. He didn't have the scribe read it. He opened it up himself. Let me read this to you. You need to hear it. He says in verse 31, Then the king stood in the place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, with all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God and the God of their fathers. Thus Josiah removed all the abominations from the country, and he belonged to the children of, that, that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present of Israel, in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God all the days that they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. As long as he was alive, they kept faithfully serving God because he continued to point them back to the Lord, make serving God the standard for their nation, and he wouldn't tolerate anything else. So even though he knew he was going to be delivered, his heart was burdened for everyone else that they would be delivered as well. So in closing, and thank you for your patience tonight, we covered a lot, a growing walk while living in a lost world, doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Our walk with the Lord should grow stronger over time, using our gifts for the, to serve in practical ways by rediscovering the word of God. However much time you're spending in the word, if you've kind of grown cold, can I encourage you to get back in the word? Ask God to speak to you through his word. Know that God is always faithful to his word and a faithful servant starts with the word of God. Lord, we thank you and praise you for the example of Josiah. We thank you that you don't hide the frailties of your heroes. And Lord, we thank you that even in a world that like we live in today, so much like Josiah's time, Lord, we're called, even though we know we're going to heaven, even though we know we've been forgiven, Lord, we know that there's people around us that aren't. And help us, Lord, to be salt and light to a world that so desperately needs you. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen.